Biltmore Church, uh, how are we doing? All right, good to see you. Hey, uh, whatever campus you're on at uh, Biltmore Church, take your Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 13 is where we are going uh, to be. Again, hello to wherever you are watching from. Uh, we are a church distributed across uh, the, all of the 828. Uh, one church, a bunch of different uh, locations. And uh, today, the broadcast campus gets to be uh, the West Asheville campus. And so wherever you're watching from, we're going to be doing that. And one of the ways we also partner together is with Biltmore Church Love Schools. And so again, I know it's been you've been talking about it, you've been told about it, but one of the things we talk about all the time is we believe the gospel, but we also want to behave the gospel, right? We want to declare it, we want to demonstrate it. And so uh, with that being said, make sure here in a few weeks uh, we go out there in force. There's, I don't know how many schools we're ministering to, but you can uh, partner. One of the things we're trying to target are high-need uh, children that need some school supplies. So you can just go to builtmorechurch.com schools and make sure that, uh, that that is taken care of. And let's make sure we meet a bunch of needs. And uh, two things we got going on uh, today, two campuses. First of all, we've got the Brevard campus in Transylvania County. And... Um, if you were at the Brevard campus, your campus pastor Tyler Latrell and his wife Shalom gave birth to their first baby, a little girl this week named Eliza Shea. So whether you're at uh, Brevard or West or wherever, you give them a big round of applause. I think it was like a 30, 30 hour labor or something. All right. So all the, all the guys in here went, oh man, that's just, that is a lot. So thank, uh, thank you all for that. And then uh, again, great team effort out there. And uh, West Asheville. All right, so West Asheville, uh, God has done a great work with you, through you. Great days ahead. Uh, put your hands together also for Matt Sutton and his team. Awesome, awesome jobs. And so what we got is we got, we had those soft openings uh, mid-pandemic. I'm not sure where we are in the pandemic now, but we're not where we were. Probably not where we're going to be, but at least a little bit further uh, along with that. All right, so Mark chapter 13 is where we're going to be. One of the best-selling books, one of the best-selling books of all time, like 30 million copies have been sold is a book called Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by a guy named Stephen Covey. And habit number two is basically introduced, the whole chapter is the whole idea of, all right, begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. And here's the way he kind of starts off this chapter. He starts off the chapter by saying, all right, pretend you're going to a funeral. Pretend you're going to a funeral, you're driving to a funeral, um, and it's like envision this in your mind. You're driving there. Uh, you get out, people are going into the, into the uh, um, place where the service is being held. You've got friends that you see. You walk in, you see the flowers. But then you walk down into the front, and as you go down and you look into the casket, the, the, the person in the casket actually is you. And what you realize, he says, you realize this is your funeral. This is your funeral three years in advance. And you look at the program and you see who's going to come up and speak at your funeral. Your family's going to come up, your friends are going to come up, your business associates, they're going to come up, and they're going to talk about what kind of person you were, what kind of guy you were, what impact you made, the difference that you made in their life. And he said, and as he goes through that, he says, when you do that, what do you want them to say? His whole point of the whole chapter is begin with your destination and what your desired destination, begin with what you want that to be about now. So in other words, make decisions today that will determine how that day goes. Now Jesus goes way, way beyond this in Mark chapter 13, and he basically says this. He says the only way you and I can make great decisions today is by having a clear understanding about what that day in the future 
will be like. In other words, he's saying, I want you to fast forward. He's talking to his disciples. I want you to fast forward for a moment and think about your present lives from the vantage point of the end. And so when we look at this, uh, we're going to enter in this year of the Bible. Uh, in the Gospels, what you see is, in some ways, they almost speed through the first three and a half plus years of Jesus' ministry. Obviously, many encounters, we've looked at those the last few weeks. But when you get to the final week of Jesus' life, it's like the gospel accounts in particular, they slow down. It's, they almost go into slow motion. And they slow down to go not just through his teaching like in the upper room, not just through his, the trial and the crucifixion, the betrayal, all of that. But even at the start, there's a, some uniformity about the teaching that he wanted to drive home. And the one we talk about today is one that is filled with bumper stickers and talk shows and prophecy conferences and all of that. But it is, he's talking to his disciples about something that he talked to them a lot, and it's really about the second coming. Now, when it comes to the second coming, I know people, based on your background, you might kind of freak out about the second coming because you probably came from one of two backgrounds. You might have come from a background, if you come from a church background, you come from one that either kind of ignored this, this was like the crazy uncle at the family reunion that you didn't really want to talk about, or on the other hand, this is like all you talked about. Everything, again, from, you know, if in case of rapture, this car will be empty, or prophecy conferences all the time, or big calendars behind you, and everything was about that. But in some ways, it's, it's valid in this sense because it is the most talked about doctrine in the Bible. 318 references to the second coming in 260 chapters in the New Testament. Now, here's my challenge to all of us today. A lot of people talk about the particulars of the second coming. A lot of people talk about the... When is he coming back, or how is he coming back, or what about the details of coming back, or what does Nicolas Cage say in the Left Behind series? You know, what, what about those things? But what we're going to try to focus on today and what the passage does is the implications of the second coming. So twofold. Number one, if you're like, you know what, I got a flyer in the mail, I want to, uh, I want to make sure that I'm part of the food trucks, that kind of thing. But I'm not a believer, but I'm curious, then there's a message for you today. There's also a message, particularly for the followers of Jesus, which is who this immediate, was, immediate message was to. And here's the, here's the main thing you're going to see in this, and this should, this should encourage you if you're a follower of Jesus, is that God is keeping track of what you do for him every single day. That God is keeping track of what you do, not a single thing that you do for the glory of God and for the good of other people, not a single thing you do does he miss. Or in other words, you have more to gain, you have more to gain by serving him than you can possibly imagine. So let's look at the text. It's not a long one. Let's look at it and then we're going to answer one very, very obvious question and then we'll talk about how do we apply it. But here's what he says, Mark 13. Verse 32 says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. He's been talking to them about the end times and all of this chapter 13. And here he says something that some of you are like, going to be, what? What does he mean by that? Not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. It's kind of, this is like a mini parable of the talents focused in here about the end times. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work 
and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. And he drives the point home over and over again. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So what he's saying is this. It's kind of like the, the game you play as a kid, musical chairs. If you forget what that game is, you put that circular bunch of chairs in there and the music begins and you go around there and all and what you know is you know the music is going to stop the music is going to stop and if you're casual and if you're not paying attention other people get the chair and you get left out the point is the music will stop and over and over again in this passage he says listen there's going to be a day when the music stops and you want to be ready now let's kind of put it out there as well i understand that people have gone cray cray over this for years and they have done the exact opposite of what the text says. And it's like, I remember back in like the 80s, there was a book out and it was a bestseller. People sold all their stuff. They bought an RV. They went out in the country. And it was basically uh, uh, 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. So it was, all right? This was like the early Y2K. So 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. Well, 88 came and went. The guy that made the, the book goes, oh. I've got a rounding error. I forgot to carry the one, so let me write another book, all right? 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 89. Well, 89 came and went, and Jesus did not come back. Point is this. How are we? It says clearly, we're not going to know. It even says, not only are we not going to know the hour or the day, it even says the angels aren't going to know. All right, so they're up there in heaven going, I don't know, I don't know, all right? I don't know the calendar, not sure when it is. But the one that gives us a lot of pause is, it even says, even the Son does not know. You're like, all right, how can the Son of God not know his own schedule? How can the Son of God not know when he himself is coming back? All right, so let me give you, a, let me give you about a three-minute theology lesson. Christians have always believed that, that, that Jesus is God incarnate. Incarnate, it's a Christmas word typically, but incarnate is... The Latin word carne means flesh. So if you uh, go to a certain restaurant, you might get chili con carne. And what that means is you get chili with meat on it, all right? And so what God incarnate means, it's God in the flesh, all right? God has wrapped himself in human flesh and become a man. And so the early church has always believed, and the church has always believed, you know, guess what? That, that, that God is, Jesus is God in the flesh. He is the God-man, 100%. 100% God, 100% man. Sometimes this gets attacked. I mean, think Da Vinci Code. And it's like, oh, the, 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 the church just kind of made that up early on. Now, what they do is they'll take a little bit of a fact, and they'll talk about some of the church councils, which were basically the early church fathers. They got together. They did not make up theology. They just recognized biblical theology and put it in a way that we could say, all right, that's what the Bible is teaching. You hear things like the Council of Nicaea and Chalcedon, all of those. Here's what the quote is from one of them about this. Jesus is perfect in Godhead, also perfect in manhood. Truly or fully, God and truly man. One person acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, which is confusing that word, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union. What is he saying? Basically saying, listen, 100% God. 100% man, you can't, he's like, I can't understand it. I, I don't, I, I can't explain it. Well, neither can I. People have been trying to explain it for a long time. 
Some of the stuff you're like, I can't understand God totally, which is a good thing. And guess what? Uh, but the Bible teaches it over and over and over. And it's super important. It's not some little seminary argument. Because had Jesus not been a man, he could not have died as our substitute. If he had not been God, he could not have been sinless and defeated sin, death, and the grave. And so you see little glimpses of this throughout his ministry, the God-man, and we could do this forever, but uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, for example, because he's the son of man, he got hungry. Because he's the son of God, he could feed 5,000. Uh, because he was the son of man, he would get thirsty. Uh, because he's the son of God, he could actually turn water into wine. Because he's the son of man, he could get weary, but because he's the son of God, he could raise people from the dead. So here it is. All right, listen to me. I, don't, don't, don't get mad when I say this, but when you talk about the second coming, primarily, it's not about dragons. It's not about calendars. The main thing in this text is an easy example of this is it is about what do you do now in light of a future event? How do I make wise decisions? How do I leverage my life now for that? In other words, begin with the end in mind. Like, where you, why, why do you think that? I like the calendars and I like the conferences. I'm glad you do. I'm glad you do. I get it from this text. Look what he says over and over. And he's like, be on guard. Be on guard. Be awake. The opposite is to not be on guard or to be asleep. He's like, wake up. Be awake. You got to stay awake. You got to keep awake. And I know that kind of brings some bad memories. I had, unfortunately, I had a little PTSD this week about when I was a kid and my dad would walk in and he would always wake us up with the same same song. It's right there near the Barney song as far as, as triggering uh, me. But it's basically, it's like school days, school days, dear old golden rule. Anybody remember that? Okay. That is the word. Dear old golden rule days. What does it say? Reading and writing and arithmetic, you know, all to the tune of a, I'm in hell. That's what that means. That's like, that's what it feels like. Because you also had to get up and go to school. But it, what he was saying is, listen, wake up, wake up. You, you are going somewhere. And here's what I want you to understand, if you're, if you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, but particularly if you are a Christian, you are a person, you are a person, the Christian life is linear, it is not circular. Okay. A lot of religions teach, you know, you just kind of go round and round and round and round and round and round and round, whether you call it karma, reincarnation, whatever you want to call it, that is not the Christian life. The Christian life is linear. It ha you know what, God created you, God created you, and you will live somewhere forever. And so there's some things we need to wake up to, all right, first of all is this, and you look at verse 34, and we're big about underlining our Bibles or highlighting or in your, in your uh, Bible, on your notepad, whatever it is. But look what he says. It's the idea of waking up to your calling. Wake up to your calling. Verse 34 says, listen, you have work to do. You have deeds. He puts his servants in charge, each with his own deed, labor, or works. All right, so let's, let's do a little bit more of this. Depending on your background... Typically, what you see is, I mean, let me be clear, we are obviously, and we teach this all the time, it's about the gospel, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone. So you embrace Jesus through repentance and faith, he forgives your sin, he uh, puts to your account his righteousness, you become his son, you become his daughter, you are connected to God, you get biblical faith means a change in direction. So you know what, I was going one way and I changed direction, I'm not the boss of me anymore, he is now the boss of me. I mean, that's biblical repentance and biblical faith. And what you saw in kind of the Protestant Reformation hundreds and hundreds of years ago is this whole idea of, listen, there is not, 
there's not this huge separation between the laity and the clergy. What I mean by that is, back, you know, you go back hundreds of years ago, you kind of had the laity, it's like sit there, write a check, show up, and that's all that's expected. Let the professionals do the work. And part of the Protestant Reformation and part of what Martin Luther did is say, listen, that's not New Testament Christianity. Old Testament, you had the priests and then you had the people, but the New Testament, what you have is you have, you have every single one is part of a royal priesthood that you have been called to actually called to ministry. Not that everybody works at the church, but you have a specific calling on your life, your life, your finances, your influence, your spiritual gifts. And verse 36 says there is a distinct possibility that at his return, he could find some of his, and look what he says, he says some of his servants, so these are people that it seems like people that have already acknowledged, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus, but he says there's a distinct possibility that at the second coming, he could find some of his own people asleep. Now, I'm going to say a statement here that I thought, well, we have time to unpack this, and yes, we do. So I put it out. I think it's on this, it'll be on the screen as well. Now, look at the whole thing before you push back on it. What I found in doing this thing for 30-some-odd years is that most believers, especially people in those strong Bible-teaching, gospel-focused churches, don't understand the undeniable link between everything you do today and your tomorrow. So here's the statement. It's not, I kind of rearranged, and if you want a little bit more, and let me look at some more scripture, and let me, look at, let me look at this more in depth. There's a great little book called The Life God Rewards by a guy named Bruce Wilkinson. It's only like 50 pages, 60 pages. But from that, there is a phrase in there that I want to kind of take and put it in a different way, but here's what it says. Your belief, your belief, what you believe determines where you spend eternity. Okay, so that's true. What you believe, the Bible's super clear on that. If you repent and embrace Jesus by faith, you know, you go to heaven, all right? That's a super clear teaching in the Bible. So what you believe determines where you spend eternity. And we know that. The second part, oftentimes, we do not know. How you behave determines how you spend eternity. What you believe, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What I believe determines where I spend eternity. You need to have that nailed down for sure. But secondly, what I do, how my behavior, how I actually leverage my life determines how I spend eternity. Let's kind of get sobering here. Every Christian, every Christian does face a judgment. Not for your salvation. The Bible clearly teaches, whether it be 1 Corinthians 3, whether it be some of the ones that we will look at later on, every single Christian does face a judgment, not for salvation, but for rewards. How you're going to spend eternity. You don't face a judgment for your salvation. Why? Because Jesus was judged for you. You don't get punitive damages done to you. Why? Because Jesus was punished for us on the cross. But please understand this. Every Christian does face a judgment. First Corinthians calls it the Bema Seat. It's a place not for your salvation, but basically to judge what did you do with the life that I gave you? How did you live for me? How did you labor for me? 
Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, loved ones, there's not an exhaustive list on everything that God rewards. And I know right off the bat, you're like, oh, God doesn't need to be reward me, and we'll get to that in a second. I'm just saying, let God be as gracious as God wants to be with his people. So this is just a quick flyby of some of the things that you can, auto, all you got to do, look up the word rewards in your concordance sometime. Go to the back of the Bible. A lot of you have a concordance at the very back. Just look up the word rewards, and then just go through the New Testament and see how often this is attached to the believer and how he or she will live. Let me give you a flyby. Some things that, and this is what I want you to think of, is nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Nothing you do for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel, nothing is missed. That's a great deal. Like nobody saw that. God saw it. If you want to put down a few verses, just put down Matthew chapter 5. Verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. Why would I rejoice and be glad? Why would I rejoice and be glad if I'm just getting the stuffing beat out of me over in, you know, wherever, the Middle East for being a follower of Jesus? Why would I do that? Why would I do that? Rejoice and be glad. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He is linking the joy they can have in their suffering with the fact that this is not all there is, that they will get a reward in heaven. Their reward is not salvation. He's talking to his disciples. Or uh, sharing, Matthew 6. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And then the end of the verse says, and your father who sees in secret will reward, which means to pay back, he will reward you. You're like, Bruce, you're always talking about we serve because Jesus served us in the gospel and we give because God gave to us and we're generous because God was generous with us in the gospel. And that is true. All I'm telling you is kind of the cherry on top is God says, I'll also reward you. So you, uh, you're struggling right now and you, you get a backpack, $30 backpack for a high-needs child that probably you will never meet. Nobody sees. God says, I see that, and I don't miss that. You sponsor a child over in Ecuador with Compassion International, and you sort of cut back on some stuff to make sure you can do one or two. I know some of you do five kids, and that's, that actually does make a difference in the way you live, and you put some stuff off. And like, well, nobody's going to, and you're probably only about 1% of you are ever going to meet your compassion child. But guess what? God says, I, I see that. Matthew chapter 6, even when you pray, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. It's like, I'll reward you. You hit your knees and you pray, and you're like, yeah, well, I'll get my reward now. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. One of the things we'll look at in a second is over and over again, there's, there's this tension between the already and the not yet. Sometimes it's already. I mean, it says the kingdom of God is here, but the kingdom of God is not yet. And so sometimes it's like, you know what? Boom. I saw that. That was amazing. God restored my marriage as soon as I gave my life to Christ. And some of you, your marriage got harder. Matthew chapter 10 says, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple... Truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Now, this is like super practical. 
you're in there in the baby section. You're working with babies. You're changing diapers. Poopy diapers. You don't, I mean, it's like that is a thankless job. Mom comes in or dad comes in. It's like, why didn't you change my diaper? It's not that great. You're a parking lot person. Parking lot people get abused. If you understand that, parking lot people get abused. I mean, they get the number one sign, and you're like, they would never get the number one. They get the number one sign sometime. Why don't you let me go out there first? And he, all he's saying is that service is not missed. You're teaching a connect group. You're spending hours and hours and hours preparing for the lesson. God says, I don't miss that at all. I don't miss that at all. You serve coffee in the coffee counter. You got bow time. You got bow biscuits. I mean, that you're serving those two people. God's like, I, I miss nothing at all. And that's not even exhaustive. And uh, here's a summary one. Matthew 19. These are just out of Matthew. I just picked these out of Matthew. It says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold, a hundredfold, and inherit eternal life. I mean, think about it this way. We're in the, uh, you got the Olympics going on. I don't think USA had a great, like, first day. I think we got, like, zero medals. But at some point, there's going to be, like, a medal ceremony. I mean, it's going to be awesome. They're going to, it happens all the time. Really, no matter what country you're at, they will stand on the medal, there'll be the medal ceremony, they will play their national anthem, the person will come and they will put a gold or a silver or a bronze on their neck, tears will stream down the athlete's eyes almost every time. Why? Because they understand, I sacrificed for this. I gave up a lot for this, I missed a lot for this, and I did this so I could get this medal, and in about an, an infinitely greater way, he says there is a time coming where your God will actually reward you for everything we do down here. And um, the implication of that is, again, nothing is missed. Thank you for what you do, but nothing at all is, nothing at all is missed. And sometimes it's a struggle because you're like, I don't see it right now. And if you understand about the second coming, guess what? The struggle with, you know what, we gave up a lot here and we're, giving up a lot here, and we're still struggling even more financially. How come God isn't rewarding us right now? Because this is not all there is. And um, a lot of times you've got to kind of get out of our Western mindset and think it's not just about calling. God does call you. God does call you. So my obviously question is, how are you leveraging your life if you're a Christ follower for the kingdom? Honestly, some of us need to wake up. I know we kind of got asleep during the pandemic, and we're like, well, I'm just going to kind of take care of me and mine. But at some point, we've got to say, you know what? I am here for a certain amount of time. And you don't know how long that is, and I don't know how long that is. You're here for a certain amount of time. And we can do a bunch of awesome stuff in heaven, and it's going to be awesome. I mean, heaven's going to be awesome, correct? I mean, heaven is going to be so fun. We've talked about this a bunch. Heaven's going to be awesome. Heaven is not like a long, flat, West Texas highway, featureless. That's not what it's like at all. He's like, it is filled with awesome, awesome stuff. What we cannot do in heaven is leverage what God has given us for the gospel for men and women and boys and girls. And so we got to go back again. Listen, there's a time where he's like, you have a job to do, I have a job to do. One of the things in that text it said is that every single one that says, I'm a disciple, you have a deed or a job. And so part of it is, God, i got to wake up to that. What am I supposed to be actually doing? But here's the one that has been 
heavy just because of what the last couple weeks has meant kind of in kind of my little sphere is uh, it's not just waking up to the calling, but when you think about what this means, it actually is, is amazingly comforting. And this is where we got to get out of our Western mindset, our sense that I'm not saying the last 18 months has been awesome, but in the perspective of the world, it helps to kind of get out of that mindset. And so I want you to just look at the certainty of the passage, and it's like, wake up to the comfort that is the second coming. Over and over again, he says, you know what, this, this will happen. Verse 33, I will come. Verse 35, I, I, I will come. Um, some of you have kids, and you've taken long trips. And what's funny is, um, I know when my kids were small, it was, they would always want to stop. Tell me, we gotta, we gotta stop. We gotta stop every two hours. Obvious reasons. Gotta stop every two hours. What's funny is you get older, there's like two ships passing in the night. And also, too, too much detail. All right, so gotta stop for me now. But I'm, so my point is this one of the things that almost they always did was that whole phrase, Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And there was a sense in which even the biblical writers felt that. And you look at the Apostle Paul sometime when he's writing some of those epistles, he's almost like writing and looking up, and he's writing and looking up, and he's writing. He's like, is it, is it almost here yet? There was an expectancy. Can you imagine if you look back to your kid and you're like, hey, he's like, are we here yet? And you're like, no, it's going to be another 2,000 years. You better get some good batteries for the Game Boy, all right, because it's a long, long trip. And so when you look at this, people ask, why so long? I mean, he's saying this stuff, and it sounds like it's about to, about to take place. Why so long? Well, Peter gives us a little insight, and he actually says it's because of God's patience. God's patience, not wanting any to perish. Doesn't want anybody to perish. It's God's patience, his long-suffering toward the person that hadn't received Jesus. I was thinking about this. I remember thinking shortly after I became a Christian, why don't you just come back now? I got my first-class ticket to heaven. Why don't you just come on back now? That can't be the default of believers. Why don't you just come back and make it a lot easier? And what God is saying, the patience is there because, uh, you know what? There's other work to be done. There's other history to be unfold, unfolded. And so here's what I would uh, kind of challenge us on when it comes to, all right, how can I wake up to my comfort? Everybody agrees. Nobody, nobody in our culture thinks everything's right. All right, everybody agrees. Oprah, everybody agrees. Something's not right. Nobody looks at the world and goes, yeah, man, that's clicking exactly the way it was designed. Everybody knows something's not right. The Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, is you know what? We see the world has been wrecked by pain and suffering that came from our sin. And here's what I want you to kind of get in your world for a second. Jesus' return promises that all that pain and all that suffering does not last forever. It doesn't last forever. All that pain, all that suffering, it does not last forever. And you can endure almost anything. We can endure so much if we know, you know what, this doesn't last forever. This doesn't last forever. Anything about... Um, Try to put through different scenarios. You've got people that, uh, I mean, this is great news. This is great news for the, the Israeli who was in captivity in Egypt. It's great news. You know why? Because 
his life is filled with bad news. So when he thinks about, you know what, this is temporary, you know what, that's the case. Look at some of the songs that were sung by our African-American brothers and sisters when they were enslaved. It was all, so much was pointing to the hope of the second coming. Think about the lady who is in a culture where her husband can beat her up with immunity like some of the places in the Middle East. Just, just beat her up, have his friends beat her up with, with immunity. For her to know, you know what, it's not going to last forever. There's people at a church today, without a doubt. There has been some significant injustice done toward you, without a doubt. I was in a meeting Friday with that task force that I asked you all to pray about. I'm just listening to some stories. I hadn't cried in a couple years until Friday. And listening to some survivor stories and how... In that case, the justice system didn't do what the justice system is designed to do. And so there's a mixture of grief and anger and wanting to go man on fire all wrapped into one. And what you have to understand, whatever it is, we talk about forgiveness all the time. You can't forgive unless you know at some point justice will be served. You can't. That's why the Bible says, where God says in Romans 12, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. If you don't think God is a just God, how are you going to let the vengeance be up to him? How are you going to forgive when, because forgiveness is not about trusting or letting down boundaries. Forgiveness is about what? Forgiveness is about my decision to release a person from the debt they owe me. The only way you can do that is if you understand theologically and biblically that person who committed that against you, they will either have their sins paid for by Jesus just like you did, or they will pay for their sins in eternity. Either way, their sin is going to get paid for. When you understand that, it's like, okay, I can, I can forgive because you know what? That injustice toward me, it also is comforting to the person whose daughter just died of cancer, whose body is racked with chronic pain, whose spouse of 40 years just walked out for a newer model. So you can think, you know, there's a day coming where the weeping and the crying gets is ceased. Homes won't need locks or alarm systems. The oppressed will receive justice. The weather will always be awesome. The deaf will hear. It's a better version of everything. It's a better version of everything. That's the easiest way. Eternity is not sitting on a cloud playing a harp. It's not. Does anybody even here like the harp? Does anybody even like the harp? I don't even like the harp. That sounds a lot more like hell than heaven, and heaven is not that at all. Heaven is filled with rewards and responsibilities and joy. Everything is a better version up there than it is down here. I mean, just think about that one thing. What's the most beautiful place you've ever been to? For me, the most beautiful place other than Western North Carolina is Hawaii. I mean, visually stunning. White beaches. Snow-capped mountains, blue water. I mean, you're just having visual overload the whole time. And this week, as I was preparing this, I'm like, all right, what is an upgraded, what does a, Hawaii, no offense to, Hawaii's a dump as we know it compared to what we're going to see. I mean, think about it. You can, think about it. all that stuff this last week about the space travel, like, you know, billionaires saying, getting on a spaceship and going up there for like a minute and coming back down. I mean, think about that. In heaven, you can like do that on your own, all right? 
You don't have to be a billionaire. You just do that on your own. What we can't do, what we can't do in, in having loved ones again is make an impact for the gospel. We, we just, we, we just, we can't do that now. So what we have to do is we kind of got to go from this whole thing, the whole thing about is you only live once, you only live once. I mean, you just hashtag, if you're a Christian, please don't, please don't put YOLO and built more church in the same deal, all right? You only live once. You only live once. If you're a Christian, you don't only live once, okay? Doesn't sound good. YOLO kind of rolls off the tongue. Yalf doesn't really roll off the tongue, but you actually, you only live forever. You live forever. You live forever. You live forever. And so really two points. The first one would be obviously for like, I'm not 100% sure I'm really looking forward to Jesus coming back. I'm really not sure I'm looking forward to that. I'm not 100% sure where I stand with him. That does not need to stay the same this morning. I mean, this morning you can say, you know what, what you did on the cross somehow counted for me. And I want to embrace what you did. I'm not the boss of me anymore. You are the boss of me. When you said it is finished, somehow that counts for me. And you embrace him by faith. That's called repentance and faith. I'm turning from my way of trying to make life work, and I'm turning to Jesus and Jesus alone. And that's where some of us are, honestly. My biggest nightmare is in 10 or 15 years or wherever you guys, whenever you guys put me like in the old preacher home, and when that happens, my biggest fear is you will have sat in church thinking that because I go to church and I read my Bible and I hear about the gospel and I do a couple of good things, my biggest fear is that you would actually have never embraced Jesus by faith. Not in a real way, not in a way that changed you from the inside out. Make sure that's there now. But secondly, there's a lot of us in here, honestly, we've grown into some lethargy during COVID. We have. I mean, it's been the hardest 18 months for so many of I promise you. I can't tell you how many of my pastor friends have just quit. They're just like, forget it. People are either mad about the election, health, injustice, you name it. And they're like, forget about it. It's like, listen, don't quit at the end. Don't quit at the end. Don't quit right now. And so a lot of us just like, man, just wake back up. Say, God, for the remainder of my years or until you come, would you use me for the glory of God and the good of others? Say West Asheville and Arden and East and Brevard and Hendersonville and Franklin, they don't need to be the same. So why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Would you just recommit and just say, you know what, Lord, it's, it's, uh, for some of us you might be able to say, this is the first time I want to drive a stake down and know that I know that I know that I know that I know that Jesus is my Savior. I need to know that. And right now where you sit Drive that stake down to say, I don't want to have to doubt again. Later on in the New Testament, it says, those that know the Son of God have life. Those that do not know the Son of God do not have the life. A very clear demarcation. Do I know the Son? If you don't, just say, right now, I believe that what you did on that cross counted for me. Forgive me and change me. A lot of believers, a lot of believers in here that God's waking us up, saying, get on guard. Leverage what I've given you. I've given you a job. I've given you deeds. I've given you a subdivision. I've given you a school. I've given you a neighborhood. I've given you a family. Leverage what I've given you for the glory of God, the advancement of the gospel, and the good of other people. You won't be sorry. I miss nothing. So just tell them that in your own words. 
Father, thank you that this is not all there is. God, help us to keep a clear picture of what's going to be so that we make great decisions and priorities about what is right now. God, in this crazy time in the life of our immediate context, of our immediate culture, of the people you've put us right around, help us to see with the eyes of eternity. Help us to see what's going to happen so it makes a difference in what we do right now. God, thanks for new beginnings. Thanks for fresh starts. Thanks for sobering passages that do wake us up. God, thank you so much for the hundreds and even thousands of people who serve just on a given weekend. Help them understand. Help them be validated because you miss nothing. You reward all of it. God, thanks for the nursery workers. Thanks for the coffee counter people. Thanks for the greeters. Thanks for the people in the parking lot. Thanks for the connect group teachers. Thanks for them all. Most of all, thanks again for the gospel of grace. We don't work for your approval. We work from that approval. And we pray this in the one that won it for us. His name is Jesus. Amen.